Artist by Woman in Supply Chain Part 10 with Irina Roska from Skills. Go and check it out now on letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 30. We talk about her journey to success and her current e-planning project that you're going to want to know about. And she is a visionary in supply chain. So make sure that you go and check out that episode. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart, like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API-based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. And so let's get, let's just get right started. Um, so here's our listener corner, uh, listener's question of the week. Ryan sent in, what are your tips, suggestions for people entering supply chain as a career change? This is the same question we had in the last episode, but we had so many great conversations on social media. Go to LinkedIn. Go to Instagram, see what people have posted. I'm also posting all of the answers at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listener dash corner. So Dallas Clarkson, he was on season one. Go check out his episode. He says, I love this question. One thing we try to do with our new leadership is to make sure they get a taste of all areas of our operation. In the past, we've made the mistake of allowing management to stay in a single silo within the organization, outbound, inbound, reverse logistics, inventory management, etc. What we found is when you rotate leadership through these areas, both the employee and the company benefit because they understand how all the different pieces come together. Dallas had more to say, so make sure you go to Listener Corner. Next, we've got Chris Lee. He was at the beginning of season two, and he says all the cool kids are doing it, so thank you so much, Chris. Tom Pauls, who was also on season two as well, he says, look at what skills you have that are transferable and emphasize those skills in your profile. The key competencies we typically look for in supply chain are problem solving, analytics, big picture thinking, communication skills, and attention to detail. John Conte, I suggest joining an organization such as APICS. This will allow you to stay up to date on the current events and will also allow you networking opportunities. Then we've got Peter. He says, start with a role in manufacturing, for example, in production supply planning. It will ground you in the basics and give you an overall understanding of constraints at the beginning of supply chain. And then lastly, we have Dicey. 
She says, as someone who has done this, I'd recommend researching the different aspects and departments within supply chain. The supply chain involves so many moving pieces and many people choose an expertise while others want to work at a higher level and cover the entire chain. Now, remember, there are more to these answers. So go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listener dash corner. So on the show today, I have Tim Pajak. He is joining me to talk about how to compete on service and not price. Tim will use his time as director of global marketing and communications for MOL to highlight his firsthand experience as he rebranded one of the largest steamship lines in the world. Timothy A. Pajak, MBA, is a, an accomplished marketing and communications professional in the transportation and logistics industry, specializing in the development of cost-efficient and effective strategic communications. In his recent role as Director of Global Marketing and Communications at MOL Liner, the container shipping division of Mitsui, Pajak developed a rebranding campaign to position the company as a leading carrier based on reliability using transparency and by publishing the results of key performance indicators. At MOL, he also directed a global project to improve MOL Liner's e-commerce website, resulting in an increase in online bookings of 85%. Prior to his nine years at MOL, Pajak worked for the Illinois House of Representatives and Thompson Reuters. Pajak, a member of the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, that's CSCMP, earned his MBA in Integrated Marketing Communications from the Kelstad Graduate School of Business at DePaul University and his undergraduate degree in journalism at Lewis University. So welcome to the show, Tim. Sarah, it's great to be here and I look forward to our conversation. I'm excited to provide information for your listeners about you know, marketing communications, and especially brand building. Absolutely. Well, marketing has been such a strange topic, especially amongst service providers. Some don't see the need. Some are now only now seeing the need and they're struggling to keep up. And then you have companies like Maersk that has over 1.1 million page likes and followers. I mean, for logistics and supply chain, that's really just blows my mind. But before we get into marketing and communications and what that all means, let's start off with your background. In the introduction, I went through your impressive bio for our listeners, but I think it's important to discuss the your background and your role at MOL. So why don't we start there? Great. Yeah, happy to do that. Um, so at MOL, I was best known for leading a search for a new advertising agency and then developing a rebranding campaign in my most recent position uh, as director of global marketing and communications, I coordinated a complete redesign and rollout of a new e-commerce website. uh, And that resulted in an increase of about 85% in online bookings. Awesome. Awesome. So how did you go about leading a search for a new advertising agency? Who did, for those quests that you were, you were tasked with at MOL, who did you choose for that? Sure. You know, what I could do is I could talk about uh, the whole process we went through. We ultimately settled on an agency out of Chicago uh, called Davis Harrison Dion. And they're a B2B agency. Um, they had not had any experience in ocean uh, shipping before, uh, but we went through a long process to to get to them. 
um, you know, by nature, I'm kind of a methodical person. So Excel was, uh, was one of my best friends in that process. There's a lot of agencies uh, out there. There's a handful that specialize in transportation. And I really spent a lot of time doing research on the agencies. Um, my other sort of best friend in the process was probably Advertising Age. Uh, they publish a, a list of top B2B agencies, and I used that list to kind of inform the whole process. Uh, that enabled me to keep the research focused on those agencies that had you know, built up a strong national reputation. So I, I used that. Um, I consulted with some lists that came out from the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association, TM- TMSA. And ultimately, you know, from those lists, was able to build a comprehensive request for information and request for proposal document. Um, so we would submit those to the agencies we felt should be part of that process. We started from probably about 20 or 25 agencies that seemed to be worth being in the consideration set. Um, at certain points, I reached out directly to these agencies then, um, got to know their business development staff, had conversations with them just to kind of see what kind of clients they'd worked with, if this was something they were interested in doing. And ultimately from that, we I would say we had about 15 or so RFIs that were completed and ultimately sent uh, RFPs to about four or five agencies and brought them in for, for a pitch, got, uh, you know, more familiar with them, you know, visited their offices and they visited us and, you know, just kind of got to know the people. It's a people business after all. And, you know, that's what really makes all of this exciting and, and interesting. Absolutely. And I don't think, you know, when it comes to marketing, people really do all of their due diligence, um, especially for our industry. Our industry is extremely unique. And you brought up a good point, you know, about whether they have industry experience and knowledge or not. Do you think that that is important? Because in my past role as director of, of marketing, I worked with a few different people. Some had industry knowledge and some didn't. And I found that it was a little bit more important for them to have that industry knowledge because it's so unique. You know, that's a great question. I would say yes and no. Um, I think it depends on what you're doing uh, in terms of marketing and kind of how comprehensive you're going to be uh, with your with your process. If you're looking for an agency that's going to kind of do all of it, it may make sense to start from a place of knowledge, you know, an, an agency that's that's worked in supply chain, logistics, uh, or even specifically with ocean carriers, uh, that can be beneficial. For what we were doing, we actually kind of felt like we needed uh, an outside perspective. You know, after the Lehman Brothers shock, the competitive environment for ocean carriers changed quite a bit. So tight capacity, tight inventories. Uh, the result of that was a need for a shift in the messaging used in the advertising. And we just felt like that outside perspective could be really beneficial to, to what we were trying to do. 
Yeah, that's a great point because we're talking about, you know, messaging and a a rebrand. There's other types of marketing with the content, with the social media and things like that, where maybe the industry knowledge would be a little bit more um, helpful. So really quickly, before we go into the next question, though, what were your key indicators um, for those advertising agencies um, that you were looking for um, to really narrow down that selection? Sure. So, you know, some of the things that we we looked at, I mentioned the people part of it. And I think that's a, that's a big part, you know, uh, can we work with this agency in terms of, you know, just the quality working relationship Were they, the type of people that are going to really listen and get to know the organization. And that was, and that was huge because the agency we selected, um, they, they showed that they were eager to learn. They were excited about learning about, you know, the shipping industry. And and that was really beneficial. But we also looked at the work they'd done in the past and not just the the quality in terms of, is it interesting? Is it creative? Because lots of agencies are creative. There's no question about that. Uh, But more so, did they have a good grasp for how different B2B can be versus B2C? So we looked at things like that. We looked at location, um, geography, you know, for some folks may not be as important because, you know, the world is getting smaller. We can travel by plane quickly and we can do, you know, podcasts. We can do conversations, um, video conferences and things like that. But we felt having an agency close to our headquarters was going to be beneficial because we could easily just you know, take a little drive, 45 minutes. Um, they could take a drive, 45 minutes to see us. And that personal touch um, was just so helpful for, for our development. Um, I'm trying to think what else. You know, it, it, I keep coming back to people. Um, and I just think that that played a huge role in, in the process for us. It's just that fit between... Um, you know, the chemistry between their leadership and the folks that were going to be doing the day-to-day and the relationship that they were able to build with our internal staff. Okay, but there was there, you know, key indicators as far as their work was concerned, or maybe you were looking at more of, you know, the recommendations, their testimonials, like what was it that really put that company, other than the people, um, but from sort of like a a working standpoint as far as them as a company, was there any key indicators there? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it, it definitely comes back to some of the work that we'd seen that they'd done and, you know, the results that they were able to get for some of their clients. You know, one of the things we did was we asked uh, in our RFP process for, you know, recommendations from uh, referrals from other companies they'd worked with and, we definitely went through and had conversations with companies they'd worked with in the past to see what kind of results they were able to, to get. Um, we also looked at price. Um, you know, at the end of the day, as you mentioned earlier, you know, marketing can often be, uh, something that isn't, uh, there isn't as much attention put on it. And so, a lot of companies may view marketing as a cost center rather than a, a way to drive revenue or profitability. 
Um, and we, we felt that if we were going to, uh, you know, spend a good amount of money on marketing, we needed to have uh, the justification uh, with results. And so that was another key indicator. Um, but truly, those conversations with referrals were, it, were very helpful. Yeah, and I'm sure very enlightening. Okay, so those are some great points. Why don't we get into why you did the rebrand um, for MOL? Um, you did talk a little bit about the industry changing. And with a rebrand comes a new message, like the new messaging for the company. So can you tell us a little bit about the rebrand itself and then how you determined the new message? Absolutely. So, you know, customers were, as a result of the Lehman Brothers shock, customers were demanding, you know, more performance transparency from all of their carriers. So some of the big box retailers that we worked with, um, some of the uh, high-end manufacturing companies that produced, you know, televisions and, um, you know, products like that, that kind of informed us that it would be critical for our advertising to highlight our differentiated position in the market. And, and not so much that, but also to include evidence, tangible evidence of how, how we were performing. So, you know, MOL's niche in the, in the market was as a premium carrier, you know, focused on carrying cargo for those types of customers that are most concerned with performance levels and, you know, things like reliable on-time performance uh, quality electronic data interchange, uh, environmental concerns, documentation, customer service, you know, all of those things were significant factors that would impact the type of shippers uh, or the, ty- the type of ocean carrier that a shipper would choose. So for many years, ocean carriers would have advertising that was essentially nothing more than a kind of large business card with a picture of a big ship and some kind of exaggerated sales message about, you know, how great they were and why they should be selected. Uh, but that didn't really, um, that, that wasn't convincing or compelling. Um, so we felt that uh, bringing in uh, some, some fresh voices for, for our campaign, rebranding the, the company around, um, you know, some new messaging, and then utilizing the appropriate channels for the campaign was what was going to drive, uh, you know, revenue for us. So developing that new messaging that started with creating a positioning statement that would tie back to the company's business objectives. And really that process involved a lot of internal collaboration, uh, a lot of discussion internally about who we were talking with customer key customers um, like the big box retailers I mentioned and, you know, just kind of consulting with them on that. Ultimately we settled on a, a tagline and um, built a whole campaign off of, off of that tagline and uh, you know, kind of the industry changes. That's great. And you know, it's great to hear that you um, brought together some internal teams to really help build rebuild the brand, you know, build that new messaging for the company. But how did you get the buy-in for the new branding? I'm guessing that that would have been a part of it. Um, But I know, you know, from a culture perspective, and we've had some people on the show talking about culture, um, it's not easy. Um, So how did you do that? 
This is a great question because any, you know, your listeners that are uh, working on marketing campaigns, they're going to face this same kind of challenge. You know, ultimately the success of our ad campaign was substantially based on getting that internal buy-in. You know, given that we were telling customers about our performance levels and being very transparent about it, you know, there certainly could be folks that would be squeamish about doing that. You know, we had to first make sure that we had the internal resources and the support that would ensure the company is able to actually focus on improving any performance levels when they dipped, you know, providing resources to ensure that strong results could be sustained. So the, the key to the whole thing was collaboration. Um, we, you know, not only were internal staff one of the target audiences of the branding itself, but they also had to, you know, believe in and support it in order for it to be successful. So to get their buy-in, we had to involve all levels of staff, not just senior management, but, you know, frontline and get them uh, involved in the development of the brand and the message. So one thing that helped the most was the fact that by the time we launched anything externally, um, myself and uh, some of the folks with the ad agency had already interviewed pretty much all of the key departments and uh, key players within the company and some key customers, we built an internal audit or, you know, assessment uh, that informed that positioning statement. So we, you know, we just made sure that our agency had plenty of access to staff and that, you know, staff were involved in that whole process. Yeah. I love that you say that. And I love that you, um, you know, mentioned your internal teams as a target audience, because I think that this is where um, people or companies kind of fall down a little bit. Um, And it's truly important to a rebrand, to a new messaging for company buy-in to include everybody in that process. And I think particularly for our industry, like you said, marketing is looked at as a cost center. People don't necessarily see the ROI. They don't necessarily understand it. Um, And that's from all levels of a company. Um, And so, you know, to be able to include them and sort of, you know, bring in the hype, bring in the excitement around a message that everybody has contributed to is definitely going to be key. Definitely. You know, as marketers, uh, a lot of marketers will get excited about what channel they're going to use, you know, if they're, if they like using social media or they like, uh, you know, uh, building a video or especially in other industries where folks might get excited about doing a Super Bowl ad or something like that. Uh, but really at the end of the day, one of the best channels for promoting your company and, you know, building that authenticity is your own staff. You know, those frontline customer service uh, folks who are talking with customers every day, uh, that's where you're going to get the authenticity and, you know, really the, uh, the truth of your brand. Great. Well, so I appreciate you talking about and giving us that example with MOL, but why don't we talk about maybe the, the industry in a little bit more general terms? So when we talk about advertising in the shipping industry, maybe particularly in the container shipping industry, what is the goal um, of advertising? And I think that's a question that a lot of service providers, a lot of companies are really sort of you know, mulling around with right now. It, you know, it's crucial to have um, 
to develop your goal, it's crucial to have that positioning statement. You know, too often I see companies will fall in love with a creative concept merely for the sake of doing something or because they think the creative is clever. But that's really a mistake. Um, A a truly successful ad campaign, especially one that's going to be sustained over many years, has to be driven by business objectives. So first, you know, before you can even come to that goal, you've got to have a well-defined positioning statement that serves as a guide for the whole thing. Um, you really want to tell your audience a story about your brand. So the goal, uh, it's not so much that an ad is going to, you know, cause a customer to choose your service, especially in B2B, um, over another service, but it's really about providing support for your sales force. So in a B2B environment like this, um, you know, the advertising is just kind of another cog in the wheel, another channel to communicate with your customers. So some companies may use it to promote a specific product or initiative. You know, you mentioned Marisk earlier, you know, let's say a company like Marisk is rolling out a new service from Europe to Halifax. They might have an ad campaign in Canadian Shipper Magazine. Um, Others might use it simply for repetition of the brand but the key can uh, I'd say the key distinction in what we did at MOL was that although our messaging was about brand building and, and this I would say applies to uh, generically to other companies as well. So there was integration with other channels, a call to action, to ensure that anything we put out there was interactive with those other channels. The, and the way to sustain that was to keep things fresh. You know, uh, we, we were publishing uh, KPI results regularly reviewing the look and feel of the messaging to ensure that it told that story. So when we first launched the campaign, the focus was to provide an introduction to what we were doing, you know, follow that up with publishing targets and results side by side, uh, and then drilling down to specific categories and, you know, shifting to an infographic approach um, and then bringing, you know, kind of humanizing the brand at, at one point. But really, when it comes down to it, you know, the goal, uh, after all, is to help support what your sales force is doing um, and to, you know, if you're a newer company, startup, and there's plenty of those in supply chain, it can be about, you know, just building awareness for your brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, just quickly, what is a positioning statement? Just for those of my listeners that are listening that might not know what that is. Sure. So a positioning statement, we could have a whole podcast just about that. But uh, really what it, the goal of that is to define where your brand has been, where it's at now, and where you'd like to take it. And so it should be a, a good positioning statement should be very succinct and very clear about the objectives you're trying to accomplish. Um it may take a while to develop that. You may need to uh, spend a, a, a lot of effort on that, uh, but it's really worth that time um, because it guides your whole process. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that um, you did say that it's it, you know it's going to take time. 
I think people really want these things to happen very quickly. Um, but for it to be organic, for it to be authentic, um, it needs to take as much time as it's going to take. Um, because that positioning statement, the messaging is extremely, extremely important. Um, because it's going to stick with the company for a long time. Um, and, you know, brand pillars, different things like that, it does not come overnight. So let it take the time that it needs to take. So then let's get into something that I feel, um, actually a couple of things that I feel that are really important, especially for, you know, companies in our industry looking at marketing, looking at what they should be doing in marketing, um, because the industry is a little bit tricky um, in marketing. So, and when you're looking to work with an outside um, agency, um, it's really important to know the difference between B2B marketing and B2C marketing um, because it really makes a lot of difference. So what, how are they different? There, you know, there's a longstanding debate uh, or discussion on this very question among marketers. Some folks will say that marketing uh, is completely different between B2B, B2C, that uh, B2C concepts cannot possibly inform those for B2B or vice versa. And then others will say, oh, it's all the same. Um, I don't really fall into either of those two camps exactly. I think the bottom line is that the main difference is the buying cycle for a B2B company. You know, say a shipper that's buying transportation services uh, or a th- uh, third-party logistics company that's going to buy a, a new software service package. Uh, it's very different than it is for a consumer that's logging into Google and buying a pair of shoes online. Uh, the, while the general principles of marketing or advertising or communications may be fairly similar, it's foolish not to acknowledge the distinctions between the two and ensure that your marketing is appropriate for your audience. Great, great point. And so then my to, to the next point, I really like the next questions that we're going to be talking about because they're super, super important um, for service providers looking to do marketing in the industry. So what marketing channels are used by supply chain companies? Like where do we even start? What do we look at? What do we spend our money on? Um, tell us a little bit about that. These days, to be successful, you're going to need to utilize a variety of channels. So again, kind of back to that uh, earlier point about falling in love with your creative, um, oftentimes that's because you've already fallen in love with a particular channel. You know, I think it's important not to fall in love with a particular channel before you've got that positioning statement. If an ad agency comes to you and pitches you something that sounds cool, you know, let's say a YouTube video, you might find it interesting, but that might not be the right channel for your product or service. So in general, you know, traditional print advertising, website ads, email newsletters, uh, LinkedIn ads, Facebook ads, YouTube uh, videos or ads, trade shows, sales presentations. These are all channels that are probably going to have at least some benefit for uh, a supply chain company. You know, there's other things out there, too, like retargeting campaigns, uh, direct mail uh, could be viable for certain companies. The, the key is really to figure out the right mix of channels based on the resources that uh, you're willing to commit or that you have at your disposal and not just 
monetary, but also whatever people resources you have. But just quickly, how do you even, where do you even start to, to determine that? Yeah, you've got to do a lot of research. So if you're looking at just as maybe an example, if you're looking at print traditional print publications, you know, there's definitely a handful that are well known in the industry and, you know, are going to be in your initial consideration set. But depending on your product or service, you might consider other uh, publications as well. The challenge is to figure out the right mix. But to do that, you've got to study their audit, third party audit statements, uh, the BPA audits, and figure out th- the reason you want to do that is because those audits can give you information about who the readership is. And you need to match that up with who your target audience is. You know, are these your actual customers? If, if your customers are your audience, then you want to make sure that you're in front of your audience. And so, you know, it might sound great to, to be in a particular publication, but if your customers aren't reading that, uh, it may not have much benefit to you. So you want to uh, develop a plan that's going to get you repetition of your message. That might mean spreading out, you know, ads over a large number of publications or focusing on only a couple of publications and then repeating your message with high frequency. So, you know, Excel is your friend. There's a lot of data crunching that goes on behind this. And it's really important to have someone involved in that process that knows what they're doing and can, can do that cost benefit analysis to see, you know, who are you going to be able to reach and at what price and how can you ensure that your marketing mix is the uh, most cost effective that it can be. Yeah, that's an important point to note is to have dedicated resources to this because a lot of time, you know, it's looked at again as a cost center, but in order to be able to do it right and to be able to make sure that your money is going to the right places so that you are going to get that ROI, it's very important to have those dedicated resources. And another thing to note as well is that you need to fail and try again. Um, part of that also, you know, is to, is to, you know, you want to do the research, you want to make sure that it's the right channel, but at the same time, you need to try different messages that are going to resonate, um, with that audience. Um, and you're going to have to try and, and that's another set of data that you're going to be have to, uh, you're going to have to go through and just make sure that it's the right messaging. Maybe it's, you know, your first messaging isn't on point. It needs to be tweaked and you try and try again. That is, you know, marketing, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, the campaign we did at MOL ran for some six, seven years and we, you know, we would tweak it uh, regularly when we got feedback that showed we needed to shift uh, and respond to things that were happening based on economic conditions as well. So, yeah, being flexible is really uh, critical to running a successful uh, ad campaign. So social media is a conversation starter in this industry. Um, Some people think that it is a good thing. Some people think that it works. Some people think that it doesn't work. And some people just don't even bother to play in that space. So what role does social media play in successful advertising campaigns in our industry? It's critical to your success now. Uh, 
you've got to be there in some manner. And not every platform is necessarily going to make sense for your brand. Again, the key is, is to select the right channel that you can use to tell a story with your brand. So you just want to be where your customers are. And if they're using LinkedIn, you know, then that's a channel you want to look at. Um, I should make a distinction between you know, paid social ads and then posts on your company page. So, you know, f- from my perspective, LinkedIn is a must for most of the companies that are in your audience. You know, YouTube, uh, video, those things are getting there too. Uh, the key, again, is just to use the, the channel correctly and not overcommit or overextend your resources. Absolutely. And also, you know, I know that a lot of companies struggle with content, um, getting good content, ha- coming up with good content all the time, because content really is king, um, to, no matter what industry that you're in. Um, and one thing I'm going to throw in here is, you know, take a look at untraditional marketing, like a podcast. You know, it gives you unique content that your competitors aren't going to have. And it's content talking about your company and what you've done and and how you've helped other people. Absolutely. You know, the benefit of of good content is um, that you're able to have a conversation with your customer and that you can draw uh, on their experiences and draw on their feedback, you know, utilizing storytelling and, and then bring them to your website or to learn more about your product or service. So content definitely is a important, um, avenue for, for, um, supporting a good marketing campaign. Yeah, and unique content, not the same sort of articles over and over and over again, because your customers want to see that you're, you're no, you're thinking outside of the box, um, because that will also reflect on your company brand and your company personality. So just some things to consider there. So let's talk about measuring the success of a campaign. How do we do that? Again, a lot of people are looking at marketing as a cost center. So this is really, really important. Definitely. I, you know, just as important as a positioning statement is going to be a, uh, you know, managing expectations of your colleagues and your uh, senior management and ensuring that, you know, things are measured and reported in a way that that makes sense. Um, in a B2B service provider environment, you know, we might not be able to measure or attribute specific purchases or sales to a particular ad campaign that's tricky uh and in fact it's again it's it's about supporting the overall brand but there are a number of ways that we can measure success so feedback from key customers um you know looking at pnl performance of digital campaigns is obviously one that you're able to you know gather some um data or results you can look at things like impressions and social engagement click-through rates uh, internal surveys where you can assess employee perception of the brand. Um, some of the trade publications may offer readership studies where they'll have their subscribers evaluate the ads they see. So the challenge here isn't that there's simply one single data point that can be used. Um, 
you know, we have to be careful about confusing causation and correlation. There's just too many factors in our industry that can play a role in company performance. So for me, the way I measured success was primarily through the feedback we got from customers. And did our campaign provide the necessary support that our salespeople needed uh, in order to attract and retain the kinds of customers that we wanted? Um, that, that was kind of a key thing for, for us uh, at MOL. Great, great. So um, let's talk a little bit about e-commerce because it's definitely had an impact on our industry, um, especially when it comes to service providers. Um, And it's something that I think needs to be considered, you know, moving forward, especially in brand messaging, um, because there's a lot more people getting into shipping, understanding shipping. Um, and needing to understand shipping. So how has the explosion of e-commerce changed and changed how supply chain companies advertise? If I could provide a a visual or a little thought exercise here, um, and I can't recall where I've read this before, but it would be to suggest that companies like Redbox uh, or Netflix are not just disruptors that knocked out Uh, blockbuster, but rather they responded to a customer need and customer demand. So basically, we need to consider that every person that works for a B2B company is also a consumer. Our expectations as consumers, uh, they're, they're bleeding into the expectations that we have in our jobs as buyers of transportation services or, or products, Uh, especially as younger employees begin moving into management roles. You know, folks expect more immediacy. We expect to be able to buy a product wherever we want, online or in-store. We expect to have it delivered wherever we want, to our home or office, to a location where we can pick it up. And we want to be able to return it easily, too. So this means that the overall user experience, um, especially e-commerce, is critical. It means that B2B companies have to provide the same level of quality. Uh, you know, experience on their websites that a B2C company does, and they have to showcase it in a compelling way. Uh, And that might be in an ad campaign. I still see supply chain companies with outdated website platforms that, you know, while they might still be functional, they do look like they were developed 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I just wonder how sustainable that might be. Absolutely. I, uh, I definitely agree with you. And we've got some really great younger talent, you know, looking at supply chain as a career now. Um, and they're going to have a voice and they're going to come from that e-commerce generation and the expectations are just going to increase. So everybody needs to be ready and needs to understand that marketing is going to be a huge part of that. Um, And website is a huge part of marketing. And like you said, although it might be functional, um, it's not going to entice somebody to actually stay and engage with you. Um, And so you're kind of doing your sales force a disservice in that instance, and you're not really allowing them to flourish to their fullest potential by not giving giving them that support. So before we wind this down, and uh, we talk about how how our listeners can connect with you. Let's talk a little bit about 
um, the background that I spoke about in the introduction, um, because you have an MBA in integrated marketing communications. And I know that you also studied operations and supply chain management there as well. So can you give us some unique examples of topics or projects that you worked on that might be interesting for the listeners and just give a little bit more of a, of a story of a visual that they can take with them uh, from this episode? Sarah, I'm glad you asked this because one of the most interesting and satisfying projects I worked on during my MBA program uh, were were those that uh, I was able to collaborate with classmates and utilize my particular marketing expertise to evaluate a supply chain issue. So there's two that I'd like to tell you about. Uh, first uh, is actually the tuxedo rental industry in the U.S. and Canada. So uh, men's Warehouse is the largest specialty uh, men's apparel retailer in the U.S. They've got over a thousand stores, uh, seventeen thousand employees or so, two point five billion in sales. And I believe they, uh, at the time that I worked on this project, and they owned uh, Moore's Clothing for Men in Canada as well. So a big challenge for them was competing in that e-commerce environment with new entrants in the market. Specifically, I studied some of their risk factors and supply chain challenges, which uh, included the possibility for disruption um, at one of their distribution centers. So they actually had in Houston, Texas, uh, they had their main distribution center. So they would purchase merchandise from uh, 800 different vendors. About 80% of those came from Asia and all the apparel would be received in Houston before it would be placed on a uh, placed in stock or shipped to stores via common carrier or long haul trucks. So this uh, was a huge risk, centralized distribution in one location, you know, natural disaster uh, could wipe that, wipe that out. So on time delivery costs of trucking versus other modes were all important things to, to look at. We studied a handful of possible solutions to this challenge. Uh, that included things like investing in additional distribution centers, utilizing a third-party logistics company for certain business segments, upgrading software, uh, maybe accelerating closure of, of some store locations, uh, modifying the advertising channels that they were using, maybe use uh, using other modes of transportation. So I won't give all uh, give away all the goods here, but suffice it to say, the solution we came up with would have saved the company about one and a half to $2 million annually. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So um, did you have another example there or no? Oh, yeah, sure. So the, uh, the other example was the marketing challenges in uh, uh, Myanmar uh, for international companies. So Myanmar is a nation with so much untapped potential, but so much political risk. So in uh, an international marketing course, we, uh, and actually in, a, I believe it was an operations class as well, we studied the evolving telecom market in Myanmar and also how, um, you know, a container shipping company could uh, benefit customers in that market. So it's a really interesting case study. You know, the population of Myanmar is over 55 million and growing. Uh, they've been moving towards political reform after a long, long time of military rule. 
that's full of huge challenges that spills over into supply chain. So it's really critical that anyone looking to do business there learn and understand these challenges. You know, on the one hand, the country has a nice mix of natural resources, appealing geographic location, uh, lots of pent up demand, a younger population, uh, but the infrastructure is one of the worst in the world. And so, you know, ethnic conflict was a, a major obstacle. Um, and again, we, we studied how the telecom market was responding to uh, the changes there. Awesome. Those are really, really great examples. So we're going to wind this down. I, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show um, because I think that, you know, it was very enlightening. I think that uh, you've provided some really great examples, some really great information. So if you are one of the industry leaders that do not see the advantages of a strong marketing team and how important the messaging is to support your sales, I hope that Tim has changed your mind. I, if you want to connect with him, I am going to have all of his information at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 31 because you'll be able to connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter, I believe. And I'll have all of that information there for you. Tim, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your experience in this space. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. This is this has been great. I've, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you about marketing and the different challenges uh, in our industry. And I, I hope to uh, connect with some of your listeners. Uh, happy to... Uh, be a service to them. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Thank you so much. Next week, I am talking all about mastering your warehouse operations with Dan, who is the CEO of Optricity. You won't want to miss that episode. I appreciate all your support in listening to the show. And if you are interested in other ways to show some love, here are a couple of options. Please go and rate and review the show at iTunes or anywhere that you listen to the podcast. This is really going to help other people find the show and enjoy the show just as much as you do. I also have a supply chain dictionary on the website. It's 107 pages of acronyms and definitions, everything that you need to succeed in supply chain. So go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And again, I talk about my online platform. We are getting there, people. Go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com and sign up so that you are one of the first people to know once we are ready to launch. We've also got listeners corner. Send me in your supply chain questions and I will get the answers for you. Plus we are starting some really great conversations on social media with some of these questions. So please send those in. That's listener at letstalksupplychain.com. I love doing this show and that's a wrap on another episode with another incredible leader in supply chain. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I hope you have an amazing day. And remember, everybody, ship happens. Ship happens.